This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Songs, dance challenges, and lifestyle hacks. They're known for going viral on TikTok. But one of the latest trends is stirring up debate. And that is taking diabetes medication as a way to lose weight. These days, it's the talk of TikTok. I just start dropping pounds left and right. The topic, Ozempic, has over 300 million views. When I look around this room, I can't help but wonder, is Ozempic right for me? What housewife isn't on Ozempic? Not one. Yeah, no. (laughs) No, no. Ozempic is a type 2 diabetes medication and should be prescribed to individuals with type 2 diabetes. So what are the medical and ethical considerations here? Joining us now to discuss this and more is Dr. Disha Narang, an endocrinologist at the Northwestern Medicine Lake Forest Hospital. Hi, doctor. Welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you for having me. And we want to hear from you. Are you using Ozempic? Or do you have a question about the medication for the doctor? Give us a call now at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. All right, let's get right to it, doctor, because I'm I'm so curious. What is Ozempic and how does it work exactly? Right. So Ozempic has been around for several years at this point. And initially it was recommended for type 2 diabetes treatment. It still is. It is called semaglutide, and it's marketed as Ozempic for type 2 diabetes, and it is marketed as Wigovi for weight management. So it's the same medication, semaglutide, uh, now comes in two forms for diabetes and weight management. So when we ask who is supposed to take it, the answer is folks with type 2 diabetes. For Ozempic specifically, yes. It Currently, the indication is to take it for type 2 diabetes. And if patients qualify from a weight perspective, they can potentially be eligible to take Wigovi for weight loss. So why has Ozempic become so popular? Right. So it's been an interesting year to say the least. So Ozempic has been seeing unprecedented demand, you know, nationally. Mm -hmm. And so that led to shortages. And unfortunately, a lot of our patients with type 2 diabetes had a lot of trouble in the last year getting their medication. And that unprecedented demand, was that from social media? Absolutely. Viral TikToks, Absolutely. So, you know, it went viral, you know, various celebrities and things were tweeting about it, TikToks, Instagram, et cetera. Uh, for rapid weight loss. And and so that is why this has picked up so so much momentum to be able to get this for specifically weight loss. And so now our patients with type 2 diabetes have not necessarily been able to get their medication. Wigovi was released back in 2021, and that was basically in short supply all of last year as well. And so Mm. because that was not available the fallback was Ozempic, which is, again, the exact same medication. I see. So if Ozempic is not approved by the FDA for weight loss, how are people getting their hands on the medication to to be able to use it for that purpose? Right. Yeah, there's been a lot of off-label prescribing. Uh, There has been uh, an increase in compounded Ozempic. And so that is being sold as, you know, an injection that people will take each week except we don't know what it goes into a compounded substance. And so in that sense, the safety is questionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you know, there are so many people desperate to lose weight nationally uh, that that's why, you know, the demand is picking up so much. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because I want you to clarify. Are, are people using it for chronic weight management or is this for cosmetic purposes? 
so the intent is for chronic weight management. So one of the big issues here is that obesity is a chronic disease. You know, someone is not obese. They are someone with a disease called obesity. And so, you know, if it took a certain number of years, 30 years, 40 years to gain to a certain weight, using it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months is not an option. It's going to take a very long time to treat that disease called obesity. So this is meant actually for long-term chronic use. But it happens quickly. You you see results fast. Uh, not, necessarily. not necessarily. You know, the weight, weight loss is a marathon, right? And, and so if anybody is guaranteeing a quick, rapid weight loss, um, we one of the questions to ask is how sustainable is this? Is this something that you're going to be able to sustain for 20 years? You know, is this the right kind of lifestyle that you're going to be able to sustain for 20 years? So if you're in a program, for example, that is putting you on a quote unquote weight loss program, uh, you know, to lose weight quickly, Mm -hmm. I think these are important questions to be asking, right? Because if it took you 30 years to gain to a certain weight, you're not going to lose that in three months. That's not how this works. I feel like almost all of those weight loss commercials, ads, mm-hmm. you know, different products. That is the selling feature is is how fast Absolutely. it can happen. So I'm curious what you make now of Ozempic being seen as this or, you know, all this buzz around it being this miracle weight loss drug. Is, is that concerning? Absolutely, because this is not a magic wand. Any one of my successful patients for both weight management and diabetes, so I, I treat both equally. Okay. Uh, any one of my successful patients will tell you how much work it has taken for them to be able to sustain long-term weight loss, long-term diabetic control, and to be able to keep all of that off. And now it's been years that we've been using these medications. And they've, I've also seen people fall off the wagon, you know, potentially lose coverage for these medications or just come off of it in general mm-hmm. while they've regained weight. Their blood sugars have gone back up. You know, so this is this is not a magic wand. We need to start talking more about lifestyle and what we're doing day to day, obviously, in addition to the medication to, right. and, and really start addressing weight as a chronic condition. And something else I want to make sure we understand, you're, you're taking Ozempic and you continue to take it yes. to maintain Absolutely. The weight loss. Yes. Right. It's not oh, it's just. Or Wigovi. Yes. Or Wigovi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are there risks for taking it off label? Well, you know, so here's the thing. One is sustainability, because if you're taking it off label. Is your insurance going to be covering this long term or are you paying out of pocket? It's quite expensive. Are you taking a compounded substance? Is that safe? You know, so all these start, sorts of questions arise. And so truly the safest way of going about this is consult your physician. Make sure that you are eligible to take it. And make sure that this is a long-term sustainable plan for you. This is not meant to take for a month or two or three to be able to be ready for an event or, you know, an outfit or something like that. That is not the intent of the medication. Is it likely that the FDA will approve Ozempic for, for weight loss? So semaglutide already is approved for weight, weight loss. That's what Govi. So it already is approved, I actually. See. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it true that some spas, maybe they're combining it with other medications? That's happening, yes. What what are the risks there? Well, you know, we don't have long-term data on these things, right? And and a lot of the various um, supplements that are used for weight loss have only transient weight loss, or they may have further side effects. We have no long-term data. We have long-term data on semaglutide. We do not have it with when it's compounded with all these other substances or supplements. Ozempic, as you mentioned, it works by lowering your, your blood sugar levels. And it's regulating your insulin, 
right? It, so it, it helps to lower a couple of ways it works. It helps to lower your blood sugar levels. In that sense, it's wonderful for folks who have type 2 diabetes. It helps to delay the way your stomach empties so you feel fuller faster. And it works at the appetite center of your brain to decrease your hunger hormone. Uh, and so all together, that's actually really helped our patients with diabetes, mm-hmm. you know, be able to get their blood sugars down, get their weight off, and it actually has decreased the needs for other medications such as insulin or other oral medications that they may be on. So if someone happens to uh, reach their desired weight and then they suddenly stop taking it, mm-hmm. are there complications that come with that? Well, they may regain weight, right? Okay. Yeah. So the way that the medication works is it, it suppresses your hunger hormone. So if we take off that suppression, well, there goes your, your hunger hormone goes back up. You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking about a medication that you might have noticed in the headlines recently. It's called Ozempic. It's a diabetic drug that some are turning to for weight loss. And with us to discuss the ins and outs of the medication and the reason behind its sudden popularity is Dr. Disha Narang. We want to hear from you, too. Our phone lines are open at 866-915-WBEZ. Tell us, are you using Ozempic? Or maybe you have a question about the medication for the doctor. Again, that number is 866-915-WBEZ. So on this show recently, doctor, uh, at the start of the year, we we did a five-part series. It was about weight bias and stigma. And, And we talked about how those things can create barriers at the workplace, uh, the doctor's office, in all areas of life, fashion, et cetera. Um, how much of that bias and stigma do you think is driving folks to use Ozempic to lose weight? I think it's a large part of the conversation. And, and you know, the toxicity and the language that we use around a chronic this chronic disease called obesity tends to be highly toxic, right? Every single patient that will present to me in my clinic for weight management has been shamed in some way or another. They've been judged either by other clinicians or other people in their lives. And, you know, one thing to understand is that this is a long-term disease, right? There's significant genetic components to it. Mm-hmm. Our environment certainly affects those genes as to how, you know, someone may gain weight or lose weight. And so it really, you know, we need to start looking at wellness and we start need to start looking at if we help to lose the weight, are we going to be able to help diabetes? Are we going to be able to help blood pressure, cholesterol, heart disease? Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. You know, I'm not looking at someone to understand, you know, I don't need you to have some body that's perfect for your outfit or whatever that might mean for somebody, right? That's not the point here. Wellness and decreasing cardiometabolic disease is the long-term goal. To that end, many advocates, they're calling on medical professionals to reframe the way that they talk about weight and health Mm -hmm. in general. In your own words a moment ago, you said it was toxic, right? Mm -hmm. It can be toxic. How much of a focus should there be on measures like BMI, right, which is uh, what measures body fat based on your height and weight? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, BMI, I think, is a little bit of an archaic way to assess weight, right? Um, You could have a quote-unquote normal BMI and still have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, et cetera. That's not a defining thing anymore. Uh, Unfortunately, the way that insurance companies judge as to whether or not one may be eligible is by BMI. Mm. And so it's it's really important to sort of start getting with the times and understanding the science behind weight gain and all the metabolic risks that go into it, like high blood pressure, cholesterol, et cetera, and how that's affecting our body or our inflammatory state, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it needs to be less about how someone looks and 
all the vanity around it. And and that's that's the conversation that needs to change. Let's talk more about uh, how Ozempic's sudden popularity, how that's affecting diabetic patients. With the increased popularity, are, are we seeing an increase in the price of the medication as well? I don't think we've necessarily seen an increase in the price. Uh, for most patients with diabetes, insurances will cover a GLP-1 agonist. It might not be Ozempic, but it might be another GLP-1 agonist. And we've got several others that we can choose from. And they all potentially work in the same way. Uh, and, and so, you know, unfortunately, what has happened in the last year is because patients weren't able to get their Ozempic as easily. That's led to also a downstream effect um, in terms of a shortage of the other agents that we often use uh, to treat people. All right, let's jump to the phones, doctor. We've got Brian standing by in Hazelcrest. Hey, Brian. Welcome to Reset. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, the question I have is my wife is type 1 diabetic, and someone recently was telling her that she used Ozempic that helped reduce her regular insulin intake so she didn't have to take as many insulin injections, and she still had to take the long-acting insulin, but she didn't have to take as many um, injections during the day to regulate her blood sugar. Is Are they looking at that in any way for type 1 diabetes? Good question, Brian. Yes, actually. So we have been using GLP-1 agonists like Ozempic and its other, you know, agents uh, for for years actually off-label for type 1 diabetes. It's not always approved, but you are absolutely correct in that it does help to decrease overall insulin needs. Thanks for your call, Brian. Let's go to Drew now in Logan Square. Hi, Drew. Hi, how are you? Doing well. What's your question? Um, I have a question and I have a, I have a comment too, okay? Okay. Okay, um, my, my question is, the doctor had talked about how it affects, I'm on Ozempic, I've been on it now for almost four weeks, and um, I'm 66 years old, okay. and it seems to be a very manageable thing for me. Um, but my question is, she talked about how it affects your, the, something about the brain. I understand the glucose part, but I wanted her to go a little more into the brain affecting hunger. Sure. If she could. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually very interesting. So it, it works actively with the appetite center of the brain. And so obesity or just weight gain in general is a neurohormonal disease. And so that involves the interaction of hormones between your brain and your gut. And, and so what, you know, the way that the medication works, and this is also anecdotal from my own patients, is that it really changes the way that you think about food, your cravings, you know, your desires, um, how you assess hunger, how you assess fullness. And, and so it really changes sort of the brain chemistry around uh, your thought processes with food. And, and that's often, you know, one of the biggest impacts I see of the medication is that that's not people aren't thinking about food as much and it they don't have necessarily as much of a preoccupation with it either mm. and what that does is that it then decreases overall cravings because you're not you're not thinking about it as much you're not you you don't want certain foods anymore you you desire other kinds of foods and that tends to be i got to say lighter foods cuz otherwise the heavier foods make you feel kind of sick mm. Ozempic was uh, approved as a diabetic treatment in 2017 doctor mm -hmm. uh, but we have to talk about the medication's known side effects 
Some people who have used it say uh, to lose weight, they, they've reported ozempic face. What is that? You know, I think this is just one of those other things that went viral, right, on social media. And and so if you lose weight, you're going to lose some fat in your face, right? Uh, and, and so if you're going to lose 50 pounds or something like that, yes, the face structure is going to change. And and so this was honestly just another kind of viral statement that went. Okay. You know. I'm glad you cleared that up. <laughs> are the side effects, though, for, for Ozempic the same for diabetic people who are using the, the drug? Yes. Yeah, so it's as intended? Ex- exactly. So this is the exact same medication. Okay. So sim- let's call it semaglutide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so most commonly people might have stomach upset, like nausea, you know, indigestion. Sometimes people may have constipation and or diarrhea. Uh, and so that may be one of the number one reasons that someone stops it, just because they don't feel so good on it. Uh, you know, the rare side effects could be pancreatitis. Again, that's extremely rare. And then it's contraindicated. So it's not indicated for people who have a history of medullary thyroid cancer or um, a syndrome called MEN. I see. Let's hear from one last caller, uh, Ralph in Chatham. Hey, Ralph. Hi, this is uh, Ralph Gross. I want to lose some weight. I'm not a diabetic. I did have my gallbladder removed because I had a pancreatic pancreatitis attack gallstones, but I want to lose some weight, and uh, my buddy at work is diabetic, and he takes Ozempic and lost weight. He's really looking great. Is it possible I could take it without any problems? Well, you know, it may really require um, a detailed conversation with your doctor about that specifically. Uh, So just given your history of pancreatitis, I really would recommend addressing that specifically with your doctor. Before I let you go, doctor, some are saying uh, Mounjaro uh, could be the next diabetic drug that overshadows Ozempic. What do we know about Monjaro, which is also known as uh, terzepatide? terzepatide. Yeah. So the way I usually talk to patients about this is that Monjaro uh, is basically Ozempic on steroids a little bit. So basically we have Monjaro is a combination of GLP-1, which is the same as semaglutide, and GIP, which is another hormone uh, that we use, you know, for Blood, pressure, blood sugar regulation in addition to uh, hunger regulation and the way that it works with our fat stores, to, just to s- simplify this. Uh, however, uh, there is a significant short supply of this medication right now as well. Most of our patients uh, on terzepatide are not able to get it uh, right now, and this is just for our patients with diabetes. So right now, the approval is only for diabetes. We are hopeful that they're going to get approval for weight management you know, at some point soon, but that has not um, happened yet. We'll leave it there. Dr. Disha Narang is an endocrinologist at Northwestern Medicine Lake Forest Hospital. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Still ahead, with the rising popularity of Ozempic as a weight loss treatment, some medical experts worry that it could pose problems for people struggling with body image issues. So we'll keep our phone lines open so that you can join the conversation, too. That number, again, it's 866-915-WBEZ. 866-915-WBEZ. That's coming up next. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Before the break, we discussed the rise in popularity of Ozempic, a diabetic drug that people are flocking to as a weight loss treatment. It's led to a shortage among patients who use it to regulate their insulin levels. It's also fueled a contentious ethical debate among medical professionals about how the drug should be used and how it could affect people struggling with body image issues. 
Joining us now to weigh in is Dr. Kimberly Dennis, co-founder and chief medical officer of SunCloud Health. That's an integrated treatment center for adults and adolescents in the Chicago area. Hi, Dr. Dennis. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And we are still taking your calls. Tell us, what do you think about the attention that Ozempic is getting for its ability to help people lose weight What drawbacks or benefits do you see? Call us at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, our number is 866-915-WBEZ. Now, before we begin, Dr. Dennis, I want to give a quick warning to folks that we are going to be talking about sensitive topics like eating disorders. Now, you are a certified eating disorders specialist. So tell us, why does the popularity of Ozempic worry you? Yes. So, you know, originally this was a medication that was used to treat type 2 diabetes um, for people with that condition. You know, and this is an uncontroversial indication for the medication and for sure a disease that affects many people in our country. What is still controversial is whether or not, quote unquote, overweight or obese, obesity are legitimate medical diseases or illnesses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are weight categories based on one metric and one metric alone, and that's BMI. We know that there are substantial numbers of people who are in those categories of overweight or obese who are metabolically and otherwise healthy. Um, we also know that people in larger bodies are at higher risk of having body image problems, of suffering from the effects of weight stigma and from having eating disorders. And I think my biggest concern with how these medications are being advertised and all of the social media attention towards them is a lack of um, people discussing either medical professionals or lay people alike mm-hmm. the potential harm for people with eating disorders. Well, as we um, talk as we talk there about the attention that Ozempic is getting, doctor, how is that coming up in conversations with your clients? So, oftentimes, you know, patients who have eating disorders typically are engaging in behaviors directly to lose weight, um, not to their benefit, but to their detriment. Um, again, in a whole host of sizes of bodies and it's fueling obsession obsessionality in their in their thoughts and in their minds about weight loss it's fueling negative self-esteem related to body image issues and for many people it's very um, triggering for them because they know that they can go to a primary care doctor who has little to no eating disorder training Mm -hmm. not mention anything about having an eating disorder and walk out with a prescription for Ozempic. Speaking more about uh, these weight loss drugs and the the psychological effects, Dr. Dennis, does it differ in the initial phase of of deciding to start to take this drug and then during, like while you're taking it and after? So that's another really important um, question. Even for people who don't yet have eating disorders, if they have genetic susceptibility, um, and if they have a a heavy enough amount of risk of developing an eating disorder, taking a medication that causes them to lose their appetite and causes them to um, decrease weight in a rapid way 
can actually trigger the onset of an eating disorder. Mm. Um, this is a concern because, you know, during the pandemic, rates of people seeking help for eating disorders skyrocketed, particularly among adolescents. Um, and, you know, this in association with this new medication being touted as a weight loss medication and in association with the um, American Academy of Pediatrics putting out their new recommendations about starting medications like this, mm -hmm. even for adolescents, I think is just a perfect storm for rising eating disorder rates and um, already taxed um, mental health care system with eating disorder experts yeah. um, not not able to even meet current demand, let alone worsened or heightened demand. One study showed uh, people gained most of the weight that they lost while using Ozempic after they stopped taking the medication. I'm curious if challenges yeah. like that, do, do they present differently among adolescents versus adults? Yes. Well, that's, you know, that's the other piece of it is is most people that I treat with eating disorders, you know, the most common time of onset of eating disorder is during adolescence. We're seeing it occur younger and younger and younger. Um, so I think particularly at a developmental, developmentally risky age, introducing something like a weight loss medication um, is mm potentially extremely harmful for an adolescent whose identity oftentimes is conflated with how they look. Yeah. Let's jump to the phone lines, Dr. Dennis. Aaron's been waiting in Darien. Hey, Aaron, welcome to Reset. Hello. Can you hear me all right? We can hear you. Yeah, I'm uh, 76 years old, and I got on Ozempic uh, eight months ago. And what's interesting it only affects my desire to eat for dinner. I haven't lost the uh, appetite for, uh, you know, munching and all that stuff or breakfast or lunch. But I, I did notice that uh, I, don't need, I, I don't need to eat as much for dinner, you know, which makes it interesting. Interesting. Now, I, only lost, I only lost about seven, eight pounds, and that was okay with me. But what I was wondering for for older folks, are there any other uh, side effects if you also have, you know, blood pressure issues and, uh, you know, and all that stuff? But it seems, you know, Zepic seems to work in reducing the A1C. Uh, I noticed that yeah. uh, my A1C went from, like, uh, seven and a half to six and a half. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your, your comment there. It's very interesting to hear how the, the drug has worked for you over the past uh, eight months, Aaron. Uh, you're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just to, tuning in, we are talking about how the attention around the drug Ozempic's ability to help folks lose weight, how it could actually harm those suffering or recovering from an eating disorder. With us to discuss that topic is Dr. Kimberly Dennis of SunCloud Health. And we also want to hear from you. Are you using Ozempic? What benefits and drawbacks do you see with the drug? Join the conversation at 866-915-WBEZ. Uh, Dr. Dennis, uh, sum this up. What do you think the attention around Ozempic is saying about weight stigma in our society? 
I think even if we just take that last question that was asked, right, this is very common. So people are now taking this medication with an expectation that I will know if it works if I lose weight. And actually, what the gentleman just said was my, hemo my hemoglobin A1C dropped from you know, 7.5 to 6.5. That is a good outcome. Even if he didn't lose any weight, that is a good outcome. You know, so I think um, we have a fundamental flaw in the medical system mm -hmm. in the United States where we are so BMI-focused um, and we inadvertently do harm to our patients in larger bodies who may be perfectly healthy and maybe were born into larger bodies and who don't have high cholesterol, who don't have high blood pressure, whose livers are healthy, whose joints are healthy. If it, if it ain't broken, don't try to fix it because then we're, that's where we're most at risk of developing problems where none really exist. Hmm. You've also talked about Big Pharma's influence on promoting weight loss drugs. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm also addiction board certifying board certified and this you know this this sort of craze about ozempic right now um, feels a lot like oxycontin felt back in the late 90s and early 2000s so you have big pharma advertising now direct to consumer uh, but also influencing doctors and obesity medicine organizations um, and not a whole lot of talk about well what happens five years out, 10 years out? What happens when you stop taking this medication? So are all of the, are, are the 50% of Americans who now qualify for a weight loss medication supposed to be on it for the rest of their life? Well, what's the effect of that? Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of unanswered questions, particularly if these are medications that we are now going to say, let's give them to kids who are born into larger bodies. Yeah, Novo Nordisk, which is the, the company behind Ozempic, uh, it paid doctors just under $14 million in 2021 for education and training. Uh, that's what government records show. Uh, while Eli Lilly, who is the maker of uh, Mount Jaro, paid less than a million dollars. Yeah. So that's that's very concerning to me. Yeah. You know, we, we've seen the, the body, body positivity movement. We've seen it make significant strides in recent years, doctor. Do you think that all this buzz around Ozempic is now taking us a few steps backwards. For sure. It's a relapse. Undoubtedly, it's, you know, it's a collective um, relapse and a few steps backwards. I think, you know, in, in the field, we work just to get to a place of body neutrality and body acceptance um, as a realistic goal for many of our patients. And, you know, I think the body positivity movement ha still has, you know, a tremendous amount of energy behind it and um, impact, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I think, you know, much more pervasive is still this idea that you have to be at a lower BMI or thin to be healthy. Mm -hmm. um, thin is beautiful, and anybody in a larger body has, you know, either has a disease or is weak-willed. You know, before I let you go, what do you think will help shift the cultural focus from being thin to just being more accepting of all body sizes? Well, I think a couple of things. One would be if we, you know, kind of like um, pain was put on as the fifth vital sign. BMI is, you know, 
front and center mm-hmm. when it comes to determining health. I think that needs to be replaced with mental health okay. uh, because there is no health without mental health. And I think the overfocus on BMI takes doctors away from one of our primary purposes, which is to first do no harm. And it also takes us away from practicing personalized medicine. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Dr. Kimberly Dennis is co-founder and chief medical officer of SunCloud Health. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. And if you are someone that you know is struggling with an eating disorder, contact the National Eating Disorders Helpline. You can text NEDA to 741-741.